The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of our guests and hosts and do not reflect the views and opinions of any participants, employers, or the views of our funders. Fight well, my brother, don't forget your home. Return with victory, tell your woman all you know. Though you fight till you die, keep worry from her mind. Though you do not fight alone, run thick as blood, my bone. Welcome to Season 2 of the Speak Freely Podcast, the show that brings veterans on to have tough conversations about the politics and policy issues that are dividing America. We're the show that brings on veterans to ask them the fundamental question. Now that they've risked their lives and livelihoods and served this country, what is the change that they want to see and how the heck are we going to get there? I'm Andrew Pepler. And I'm Joy Turner. Thanks for joining us. Each episode this season will dive deep into one big topic with a central question that we'll try to answer. On today's episode, we're talking to veterans about the Second Amendment and gun reform and asking the central question, is there a middle ground on this issue that both sides of the aisle can agree on? While you're listening, don't forget to give us a review on iTunes and like and share us on Facebook and Twitter. It really helps us out a lot. Thanks and enjoy the episode. So, Joy, we're coming off a few weeks with a ton of news from across the world. Some of the highlights, Bob Mueller just finished his 22-month investigation and to date, Attorney General Barr has refused to release the full version. Over in the UK, it's still anybody's guess if Brexit is actually going to happen. Couple all that with the tragic news of the Ethiopian Airlines flight that went down, killing everyone on board after a malfunction with the airplane's flight control system. As a result, most countries around the world, including the US, have grounded Boeing's 737 MAX series of planes, citing safety concerns. And then, relevant to this episode, was the recent mass shooting in Christchurch, New Zealand where at least 50 people were killed while worshiping at two mosques. The gunman who carried out the attack is believed to be a white nationalist who not only posted a racist manifesto online before the attack, but also live-streamed the attack on Facebook. And it's important to note that while the suspect awaits trial, New Zealand has effectively banned the sale of all military-style semi-automatics, assault rifles, and high-capacity magazines. The government has also vowed to implement a gun buyback program to remove the now-banned weapons from the streets, which is in complete contrast to how we've sort of seen things play out here in the United States, at least nationally. I'm talking about in the wake of multiple mass shootings, which have involved assault-style rifles. There hasn't been the same urgency for legislation to be passed. Many critics of such potential legislation cite the Second Amendment, a.k.a. the right to bear arms, as the reason such laws would be unconstitutional and thus fundamentally un-American. Which brings us to our topic for this episode. We're talking about gun reform, the Second Amendment, current gun laws, and exploring if there's a middle ground between the two sides of this debate. Let's start by introducing our two guests for this episode. First up, we're going to hear from Jake Murphy, a former infantryman and squad leader in the U.S. Army and a current business student at the University of Washington in Tacoma. During his time in the service, Jake deployed multiple times overseas to Iraq and Afghanistan and speaks to how his experience as a combat veteran influences his views on the Second Amendment and gun rights in this country. Then we'll hear from Eddie Reed, who served in the Navy during the Vietnam War and now lives in Seattle, Washington. Eddie received his BS in art and art education from the University of Maine and an EDD from the University of Washington, Seattle. Eddie brings his perspective to this conversation both as someone who grew up hunting and as a former high school principal responsible for conducting active shooter drills with his staff and students. So let's hear from Jake as he recounts his time growing up in the Pacific Northwest, his first experiences handling guns, and how he feels about them today. Let's get started. Again, I appreciate you being here. Um, we're talking Second Amendment, gun reform, gun laws in America. You know, two weeks removed from the 
shooting, which in New Zealand, which I think, you know, at last count, um, you know, over 50 have passed away as a result of that tragedy. Um, and that's not to say we don't have our own uh, issues with gun reform laws here in America. Uh, point to um, Parkland, just coming up on the uh, annual, the uh, second anniversary of that. Um, you know, but that's only one side of it. We also live in a society that is uh, focused on maintaining uh, our constitutional rights, with which which I'm all about, and that includes the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms. So we're talking with our guest today here, um, Jake Murphy, and we'll start off by uh, having you introduce yourself. Start off with your name, branch of service, years of service. Okay, so my name is Jake Murphy. Uh, my branch of service is the Army. I was in the infantry for almost 10 years. Home for me is actually Washington State. So I grew up in Seattle, uh, moved to Federal Way in the seventh grade. And then from there, I joined the Army in uh, 2006, got out at the end of 2015. And then, so uh, what do you do now? So now I work part-time for Tacoma Public Schools as an internal auditor, and the other time I am a full-time student at University of Washington, Tacoma, where I'm planning on getting my bachelor's in finance. Okay, so again, our topic today is gun reform, um, and I, you know, I, I told Jake this before, but my first time uh, handling any type of firearm, rifle, pistol, shotgun, all happened in the military once I, I you know, actually joined, I remember the first first summer training um the first time you hear that that rifle crack that the crack of that that shot right next to your ear it wakes you up and um yeah you <laughs> at that point there's no going back um and i you know since then i've shot tens of thousands of rounds of bullets more than i could count i don't think i could even start to count the blisters of loading magazines um it all, it all becomes kind of muscle memory at that point um, so my, I guess my first question for you is, did you grow up shooting guns or what was your experience like, um, you know, as a child and as an adult with uh, respect to, um, you know, being a firearms collector or shooting guns? Well, I actually, the first time I shot a gun, I think it was sometime in uh, between junior high school and high school, we just went camping with my buddy and his family. And I want to say it was 357 Magnum and it was just shooting at a tree stump. And that was it. I got to shoot like one round. And I walked off thinking I was the coolest guy in the whole entire <laughs> campground. And just because I was able to handle the recoil. Right. I was like, 357 so, Magnum, that's a that's a big one for your first try. I think you always yeah, see then, the YouTube then, videos where they're like, they it recoils back and knocks their nose yep. off their face. Oh, uh, cool. Okay. And, and, you know, and this was before YouTube, so I had no idea what to expect other than I knew it was big and I'd seen Dirty Harry. So. Great. I knew something was gonna happen. And so your family, um, your family didn't go up collecting guns or, or going to the no, range. No, not really. My my family uh, grew up kind of a little differently than what most infantrymen, I guess, theoretically speaking, would say. But my my mom, she was uh, she went to school. She went to University of Washington, actually, where she was studying to get actually two degrees. Um, and I came along, and you know, threw a kink in that plan. And my dad, he was really into cars. And my mom was just really into making sure that I grew up right, and really no exposure whatsoever to guns, other than what I saw in the movies and what I saw in video games. Right. That so your so your first time shooting sixteen seventeen, out of the campsite. Yeah, was, um, and so one two times makes me curious. What what uh, made you join the military? Well, so the military. I remember when I was younger, the Navy ships came into 
just right off. I can't remember which pier it was, but downtown Seattle. And I got to get on, walk on the ship. And I went on a tour with my dad and the family and we went out there and it was just really awe-inspiring. It was just, I felt so tiny and the ship was right, just so yeah. massive. And I just, I was like, this is something bigger. It's just, I've always wanted to do it since that time. And then following along, my cousin, he joined uh, just before, actually, I think September 11th. And he was with 10th Mountain and he had deployed. I couldn't even count how many times that guy's deployed. And so, right, yeah. he, uh, you know, he was giving me his experiences and I just was like, you know, that sounds like it's time for this to happen. And I was in and out of the recruiter's office way too much. And then finally, after job number, I don't know, 20 at 20 years old, just trying to figure out my, my scheme in life, I decided it was time to make a, to actually make it happen. And I went in and finally signed up and I signed up for a special forces recruit and you went all or nothing was, <laughs> yeah it was yeah i did five years uh seventeen thousand dollars signing bonus so i thought i was you know gonna take over the world again mm-hmm. and uh you know it before that i had a buddy of mine that me and him had planned on going in together and he he eventually wound up going in a little later on but he was more into weapons so uh, my exposure beforehand to the military was just seeing his weapons that he had right and we went to the range i didn't get to shoot his weapon at the range but i got to see him do it and i picked up on what he was doing quickly but i was really just thrown into it with basic training and that was it and never looked back exposure cool so do you collect guns now and i know you said um you're from seattle live in um washington state now uh, in the in uh Mm -hmm. south of seattle tacoma area um and i know you know last 2016 election um or was it the midterms anyhow the state of washington recently passed new legislation voted on by the public that the you know new new law the state the state you cannot sell semiotic um rifles to individuals under the age of 21 um the previous age limit was 18 um additionally unlike in most states i know i you know i bought guns in missouri i think and maybe both times in missouri but I know, I, you know, I might have walked out of, if I remember correctly, I might have walked out out of the store, you know, an hour later with the weapon. Maybe I came back 24 hours later. Um, but I know what Washington did recently um, was require, it now requires purchasers to wait 10 days before they require weapons. So you go in, you, you buy it, you say, hey, you fill out the background check, um, and then you have to wait 10 days. And then you'll have to have completed a, a training course within the past five years. Um, so, so all that being said, first, are you a, a, a gun collector now, post-military? And, you know, if you are, is it is it easy, is it possible, you know, in the, in, in the Pacific Northwest with Washington's recent gun laws um, to be an avid gun collector, hunter, enthusiast? Well, so I'm, a, I'm a, an anomaly in some sorts that I'm probably the worst infantryman in regards to the fact that I only have one gun. That's it. I have my daily carry weapon that I have. It's a Kimber 45 and that's it. I had many opportunities to own different ones, but I just never chose to do it. I just put my money somewhere else at the time. Um, as far as the Washington, the new gun laws that they have here, it's, I don't know. I mean, I think it's so easy for a collector to collect or an enthusiast to go out and purchase and shoot weapons that they want to. It just, they got to follow along with it. Unfortunately, everybody may not agree with the rules and the regulations that are in place right now, but they voted on. And I know that a lot of, a lot of the policy comes out of 
the Seattle residents and the, and the King County residents over everybody else. So I know a lot of Eastern Washington people didn't want to see this happen. And so a lot of South, South like Pierce County and a little further down are the same. Right. And uh, until, until it gets voted and ruled differently, it's the, it's the law of the land. And, Right, and and I'll point out that you know generally in in Washington East County, East Washington is is generally more conservative uh, rural area, and uh, King County, Pierce County, Tacoma, and Seattle are uh, more more liberal blue 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 uh, areas, um, and yeah, more definitely more dense, uh, more populous parts of the state. You said you carry you carry. Uh, you know, you have a concealed carry, I assume, and, and you carry. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you feel the need to to carry? Um, daily or, or, how, or however often you do? A lot of it, I think, has to do with the fact that I'd just rather be prepared for any situation that could arise instead of having to be reactive. I can be proactive in the sense that I'll have something with me in the event that anything came down, came down to it, to protect me, protect myself, rather, protect my family, protect my assets, investments, whichever, I, whichever way you want to look at it. And a lot of it does have to do with the fact that the military just kind of instills in you, especially in the infantry, that, you know, you bring something bigger than the other guy. One of the things I wanted to to pivot to is um, I assume when we when you talk about carrying that it, it it's it's not an assault rifle. Um, it's something that you can conceal, small mm-hmm. pistol. Um, but, you know, uh, assault rifles are are legal. Um, in most of the United States, um, there, there are some states with some stricter gun laws that prohibit, you know, uh, certain iterations of the assault rifle. Um, but you know, when we talk about from a shotgun to a rifle, to a pistol, to an assault rifle, many proponents of the second amendment amendment don't distinguish between those different calibers of weapon, nor do they think they should. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a second amendment says the right to bear arms and there's no distinction, uh, baked into, into that categorization. Um, but, but you know, in, in many of the recent mass shootings that we have lived through as a country, you know, I think about Vegas and the sheer number, you know, hundreds of people injured or, you know, a, a, a place like Newtown, Sandy Hook, where, you know, you have five and six-year-old children recently in New Zealand, assault rifle use. Uh, and as for military, we've shot from every every caliber of weapon, shotgun, pistol, rifle, 50 cal, 7.62, you know, all up and down, you know, grenade launchers, you name it. Um, but I don't, I, you know, I don't know if everyone... Uh, every military member veteran would make the argument that those type of weapons, grenade launchers, assault rifles, 50 cals, uh, should ever be in the, in the hands of ordinary civilians in the United States. Um, so I'm curious to get your opinion on, you know, in light of, of recent school shootings, the tragedy that follows the PTSD, you know, in these situations, the perpetrator has used an assault rifle. So I'm always curious to get uh, opinions about the the neediness or the necessity of assault weapons should they be banned especially when they perpetrate uh such great amounts of violence in such little time as a former mp i always think about the fact that most active shooters active shooter situations are are done before police even arrive you know two to three minutes and you know police are en route but 
by the time they get there, the active shooter has either committed suicide, been disarmed, flee the scene. You know, what should be done about availability of assault weapons? Should assault weapons be banned in the United States when they can perpetuate such great amounts of violence in such in such short amount of time? You know, is it up to us to to enact laws that prevent folks who are obviously mentally ill from obtaining assault weapons or any weapons at all? Or, you know, do, do we just have to be better as a community and, you know, police our own, but allow people to maintain their right to bear arms? I think it falls under the policing their own because I don't think eliminating the assault rifle or an AR-15 or an SKS or any of these weapons that can have magazines like that, which I mean, really, the, when most people turn, coin the term assault rifles, it's just scary looking weapons that they don't much know about. And they see the military carrying it, although it's completely different in our military than the ones that are publicly available. I just don't, I don't think it should be banned. I think a lot of it is going to have to fall on, on the people. I mean, the, the fact of the matter relies, the, the baseline of all that relies is that bad people are going to do bad things no matter what. And I know people hate hearing that. Absolutely hate it. And I even hate saying it. Right. It comes to mind. Guns don't kill people. People kill people. I, I hear that, you know, a, a lot. And, and I mean, it's unfortunate. I, that it's like that, that it has to be spoken about like that but i mean it, it once i feel one of the biggest threats is that once the door is open to, to banning the assault rifle then what's next what's that's that's right now right now they will want to ban the assault rifle but once and once the assault rifle gets banned if it does in fact get banned the person who still wants to commit a shooting is still gonna do it with an assault rifle because he's already proven that he's gonna do it anyway i mean all these people who've done it who've, who've committed these terrible terrible crimes and murders and, and mass shootings they I, I, I can't obviously put myself in the mindset of them or where they got their ideas from but i bet they would have done it even if they didn't have access to an assault rifle and we obviously can't make that distinction right now because it's impossible but bad people want to do bad things and they don't care who gets in the way however they're motivated to do it it would the same kind of atrocities can happen with pistols. People don't realize that a pistol can still do damage. It's not as as high capacity of a magazine, and maybe the muzzle velocity is less, but the rounds can still vary in different sizes too, just like an assault rifle can. It's easier to conceal, etc. I just think that as a mass public, we have to be more vigilant, more aware of our surroundings, and stop thinking that nothing can ever happen to us. We get too safe and we get, like the military, we get too complacent. And so now that this is an evident thing that this kind of stuff happens more often than it ever has before, then we need to step up our game on our side too. And we can't just say, let's get rid of it because it won't happen. We just have to get more defensive and stuff in certain places. As early as, as me being in middle school, I remember doing lockdown drills in school no longer can you see into a classroom if the door is shut. There's something over the over the over the window, so that you know in case of an active shooter, they can't see in. There's we learn how to put tables in front of the door, how to turn off the lights, how to be quiet, how to hide. How do we ensure that our most vulnerable children, people who are are worshiping, who presumably should feel safe in their environment? And so I guess the question I'm getting to is. 
is how do we protect our, our children, students in the classroom, people who are are you know, s- sitting in a, a church, a mosque, vulnerable? Do we expect them to be alert, to be on the ready? How do we prevent these tragedies uh, from happening in, a, in schools especially? Do we put it on the schools to protect children, arming teachers, uh, training teachers, running these drills where teachers actually, instructors, staff members, you know, actually get shot. They experience what it feels like and they react in that scenario. Or or what's the answer? What's what's your take? Oh, I think definitely for the schools, I think security should be a primary concern. It's obvious that schools are a target and they have been a target. And unfortunately, they probably will continue to be a target until they become a little hard. And if you look at like any military installation, for example, there are just hard access points and that's the only way you're going to get on an installation or on a base or whatever is through this gate, that gate, et cetera. Most schools these days are just wide open. You know, they got fences that are hanging around the playground or the park, but you can, for the most part, walk around anywhere on schools. Same with like college campuses as well. Uh, obviously, a college campus is a little bit different than uh, an elementary school, but I could probably think of if I if I was to just comment on Facebook, hey, they're allowing veterans to guard schools. Uh, they won't even pay you. How many of you would like to do it? I can almost guarantee. You know, I, I weirdly enough, that kind of sounds exciting in a very odd way. You know, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not. I could. I can't say it's a conversation I have not right. had because plenty of people have said I would do it for free if they would let right. me do it. I think not yet. I think if the if the public, if the teachers, if everybody else just continues their the mindset that nothing's ever going to happen to theirs or them, then it, it it might eventually end that way. And I think a lot of it, even with the military too, is if you if you look like a lion or if you look like a sheep, you know what I mean. And a soft target to anybody anywhere it doesn't have to be in Baghdad or Kandahar. It can be in Kent or Federal Way. If you look like an easy target, then you'll be an easy target. So if you can even have the illusion of extra security, it doesn't mean that there's going to be a bunch of armed guards there or however it's going to be implemented. But if, at least if there's the illusion of it, it's enough to deter the person to think differently, to go somewhere else, maybe to just give up entirely. And a lot of, I mean, uh, to me personally, I think a lot of this has to do with mental health, which I have no capacity to diagnose or understand. But I do know that for me personally, I've been in situations where I just, and I'm also a gigantic person, so that helps. But looking the part has gotten me away or gotten myself out of situations than actually having to act on it. Right. So, And I think if we give the appearance that our schools are, are locked down, it's tight, there's mobile security, the security aren't sitting on their phones, they're not the most out of shape people in the parking lot, they're just actively going out and, and and being proactive instead of reactive. Now we'll hear from Eddie, who tells us about his experiences using hunting rifles during his childhood, growing up in the South, and how his relationship with guns has changed over the years as he's joined the Navy, migrated to Seattle, and took responsibility for the safety of countless youth as a longtime high school principal in the post-Columbine era. Well, all right, we can start if it's okay. You can introduce yourself. 
Hello, my name is Eddie Reed. Uh, my uh, mil former military uh, designation was Petty Officer Third Class, uh, assigned to the White House. Uh, my job was uh, I was one of three navigators for the presidential yacht Sequoia. And I served during uh, the Richard Nixon administration. Okay. My first question is, did you grow up shooting guns? Yes. That was a part of the uh, that was part of the culture in the South. You got to bring the food home. Oh, yeah. OK. <laughs> so you, it was you more know? of a hunting uh, yes. ritual or practice for your family. Yeah, no, nobody talked about guns for self-protection. Uh, well, most and mostly given the, uh, because the the absolute fear in and you could feel it. It was it was highly palpable. The absolute fear in the in the black community at large, and in the households was that you know you get caught with a gun, you're dead. You know that kind that that was absolute just the fear of it. Right. So, but. But uh, guns were, were, were around, but they were used only, you know, just, just for hunting, just for sustenance, providing so, food. typical person, you know, I, I talked to other guests, um, talked to Jake yesterday, and he told me, you know, he regularly carries carries a, carries a gun, concealed carry, uh, mm -hmm. which is completely permissible here in Washington State. Nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. um, and so mm -hmm. that, you're not talking, no one carried guns back then around. To, no. And did you see a similar culture when you got to, um, to Dayton? Uh, Dayton, Ohio, it was, uh, we, you know, it's really funny. Never read, I don't ever recall reading newspaper headlines or hearing the adults talk about newspaper headlines of, of gun violence. You know, someone's taking out a gun and shot, blah, blah. It was either stabbing, you know, or, or there was a fight, you know, right. or somebody took out a razor, but they never talked about guns. And, um, uh, and in the military, being around all kinds of people, you know, that it, that conversation just that didn't come up either. I mean, everybody handled their weapons and uh, some were better at it than others because they were more familiar with the, you know, the whole idea than others. So that's virtually, you know, I, I can't say that for, I definitely wouldn't say that's this. That's the case today. Um, and whether that's a, a post Columbine thing, I call this, you know, kids who are in school today are, are, are post post Columbine, uh, Columbine era. Um, because yes. I remember, you know, being back in middle school, as soon as that happened, we were doing lockdown drills, um, you yes. know, all, all the time. And, all you know, I don't, I don't think there's been, we haven't looked back since then. Um, and we've seen an acceleration of media reports, uh, not to say that these things didn't happen in the past, but there's a whole different ethos around what the public should know and how they should know it uh, now than what there was then during my time, you know. Uh, there's no question about it. Media, media, media stories to the public were tightly controlled. First of all, my era, we only had three television right. stations: ABC, NBC, and CBS. Right. In the story, <laughs> and so that's you know pretty narrow pipeline to focus things in, and uh, you know so you, it just wasn't there. Uh, local newspapers, you know, were more were more focused on their uh, on Edward R. Murrow type level journalism right, right. than uh, than attracting people with sensationalism. That was something that the big cities did. You know, uh, that's how it was often talked about. Us decent folk don't act like that. You know, right. heard a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep.
truly, truly the Ozzy Harriet era. No question about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and I, I think you, you, the way you you explain it is, you know, the the narrative is very much controlled. You know, whether it's happening or not, there, there's only yeah. so many uh, opportunities to to disseminate information. And so, do you collect guns now, or what? Are, what's your relationship with um, with hunting, collecting? Uh, no, I, I, I don't collect guns um, on, well, on, on two reasons, actually, to be, to be totally honest. I, I, I uh, yeah, I said that I, you know, I, I have to, I'll fully admit, I was thoroughly inculcated with that notion that an armed black man is a dead black man. You're not going to get any opportunity to explain why you have that gun. Uh, I should be stopped by the police. I mean, my everybody's parents that I knew at that time were telling all of us sons the same thing. Right. And, and you uh, see, uh, even in situations today with, with someone like Philando Castile, who had a legally registered weapon, announced that weapon um, and still ended up dead. I mean, I don't think you can play to uh, paint a more clear, clear parallel there. So I don't, you know, no. So I'd never, never entertained the notion of it. I worry about it. It, it, it. You know, I love the out the outdoors. I love to, uh, you know, fly fish, fishing in general, fly fishing particularly. I, I just love it. But that puts me in the wilderness. These are not managed Disney areas that I go to. And frankly, uh, you know, people have some uh, are getting uh, kind of squirrely out here. They're getting, you know, a little more angry, especially in the backwood communities that I tend to find myself in. So I kind of worry. I'm standing chest deep in water, you know, in a moving river. <laughs> and, uh, right. And I don't have a whole lot of places to run. <laughs> Somebody you know. You know, just to, to decides to take out their vengeance on me for whatever right, reason. Right, right, right. No, which is, is not un, unheard of again. You know, I, I, I think just, just the, the things problem. that you can see, uh, it's, it's more apparent than ever that these things uh, are not, uh, are completely you know, possible. And yeah, that, and that's where I'm kind of upset that that would even have now be in my consciousness because right. it ne- I never had to concern myself with that thought was just like, come on now, don't you, you're crazy. Right. But uh, now it, 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 it has to be in the conscious and that whole Christchurch incident just put it squarely in my conscious. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exa- I mean, exactly. You know. And this is, you know, what made that so in- really just unbelievable was that this was broadcasted live this is the thing to understand today's technologies you know people getting that are we losing it that much this guy straps a gopro on his head and broadcasts his actions live all right to the entire planet and i don't know if it's me post-military but if i'm going into a large place i'm like you know where are the exits if if something happens what is the you know, quickest way to get, it. and it's not something happens like a fire anymore or an earthquake. It's if an active shooter decides to take out their vengeance, as as you mentioned, on everybody in this room. You know, how do I protect myself um, and my family? But you know, more conservative thinkers say it's ridiculous to ban assault rifles like the ones that were used in the incidents we're talking about. Um, I think of Vegas and just the sheer number of people who were injured in that incident. Um, New Zealand just occurred. Temple in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And the, some would say the obvious answer is to, to ban these assault rifles. They're inflicting the most, con- the, the most damage 
there there's no way you can argue that they're for self-defense when you can own uh, a pistol and rifle that you can use to defend yourself. But more conservative thinkers think say it's ridiculous to, ban- to even think about banning an assault rifle, and they often cite the Second Amendment, have a right to bear arms. So... Well, that you know, in my in my view, that I think that on that one, on that that the amend on that the second amendment, I think that that has been you know distorted. Whatever the political thought of the of the flavor of the day might happen to be, you know, that amendment simply spoke to the fact that here is a in a new country, and in this country, we are we are calling upon our citizens to come to the aid of the country. Therefore, you're authorized in these cases to arm. Uh, that had to be spelled out because remember we're 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 coming out from under a whole different existence, right? We we're we're rebelling ourselves right. as a nation, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, so the rules of of the rules of rebellion had to be defined. <laughs> and, but since then, um, and this whole business, and then it, the whole thing was just glued down even harder with the expansion of America. You're going out into the wilderness, you then where right. to protect yourself. Because the way in which you grew empires was to go up and knock on a door and say, hey, I like this land. You know, you're going to sell it to me? No. Well, too okay, bad. Bang. I'm going to take it. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm going to take know? it. No police around here. <laughs> so uh, that's unfortunate. And uh, and that has that has left its impression. It's left its impact on people. No question about it. Right. You got whole little towns out there that had to defend themselves against marauding bands, whatever. Before we finally got our uh, our act together as a nation and got you know was able to pull together an army to go out and protect these poor folk. But uh, the the consequence of that, we're not giving up those guns, right? Right. And the, and the problem with that, we're also carrying our own constructs about how we think about one another. Not a good mix. I don't know, think we mentioned this at the beginning of the uh, of the of the interview, but you used to be a a principal. Did you were your principal for for uh, middle school, high school, high school, high school, and Columbine era principal were you, were you familiar with these locked with the lockdown drills yes, that I was referencing? very much so very and much so, so can I can you just yeah, yeah give me your give me your thoughts on your experience as a principal with in in an era where we're we've done lockdown drills and, and we're we're having to consider ways in which we protect kids from not only you know how to get out of the fire how to you know get under a desperate earthquake but how to save themselves in an active shooter you know situation what? this was the this was my biggest challenge the challenge was not the process, what to do in the case of. The challenge was uh, was converting, was getting adults to buy into the possibility that the that the unthinkable could happen. For example, when we can, you know, we we talk to the staff, we we show that we we show the films of recent altercations, you know, recent problems. We. Uh, Go over the, you know, the conditions in the neighborhood, et cetera, because all the schools I was ever given were right in the heart of trouble. You know, I was always assigned to, you know, to the toughest schools. Getting the staff, you know, to buy into this, well, not buy in is not a good phrase. Getting them to understand that this is this this is real now. We society has moved beyond politeness. 
people do act out their concerns in the worst kind of way now. They do act out their their, their emotional condition in the worst kind of ways now. Uh, we have to, you know, we we have to pr- prepare for this because I don't want to be the one to have to call a parent and tell them that their daughter or son is not coming home. Yeah, I and, and you know I'm putting myself in that situation, and I'm imagining that it's it's a lot to to reconcile that this may happen, and the kids that I see every day, who I've formed this bond with, could be could be could die under my care. That right. is, you know, that's a lot. And I've had that happen. That's the that's the other most confounding thing to me. Why we're so slow in in accepting the realities of you know the times we're in. Uh, we have uh, uh, we have reached a point where we've got a reasonable number of unstable folk walking around now amongst us who were one time good folk. You know, honest. You know, I'm sure, but. What something, whatever happened, there was a mental ill, there was a mental illness piece in there that, a need in there, if you will, that didn't, that went unaddressed. And um, people don't just go quiet and just sit down and say, well, okay, well, no, it manifests itself to, to a point to where, unfortunately, they'll end up doing something really drastic. Uh, because the emotion that they're carrying is just too much. They'll, you know, typically it's suicide, but what we have been seeing over the over these last few years is an outward action on their feelings, a a, a big public statement, if you will, and that's I don't know how why we're, we we keep uh, debating the existence of this trend. It's clearly there. Right. So banning assault ref. That's that's part of the answers. You don't need to be selling somebody ten thousand bullets. I'm sorry, you just don't. <laughs> and, and the and people you do, their 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 intentions are not usually personal defense. They're like building forts and moats, and it gets way way different. I guarantee you, if you went to that house, yeah, <laughs> I would not go to that house, Eddie. That's the thing. I would not go. I wouldn't go to that house. You would discover this. Right. <laughs> so just just that whole notion, you know, that not wanting to yield any kind of ground because on this simply because uh, you're protecting an industry or whatever. Oh, my God. Is that what human life? Is that it? Is that what it's come down to? I hope not. Yeah. And then we do these, then we add to it by doing the, the ultimate stupid thing in my book of uh, reinforcing the possibility and you say, well, no sane person would go and act like mm. that. Well, we did have a guy strap a GoPro on the top of yeah, his head wow. and march it to it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that is, you know, we show, you know, we throw there's, out. There's movies. no more. No one will do that. Yeah. yeah. How do, you know. We throw these movies out like, what was it? Purge. Right. I couldn't believe it. Wow. Yeah. This thing. And of course. Now, you do realize that Will Rogers right. was was right when he said that the that America has a has a, a marketed sense of reality now you, mm. you do you do understand <laughs> that most people take their cues from the wow movies, yeah and, I, you know? I, I i don't want to believe that why do you think google and apple and all these other companies are making tens of millions right. of dollars they're not making it off their hardware they're making it off of advertising influence, right. sales influence yes um, yeah so uh 
so let's let's talk about let's talk about managing those messages too. And now people get into this argument because I've been pressed on this one. This is well, mm-hmm. what you're talking about is censorship. No, I'm not. What I'm talking about is 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 it, one accepting the notion that we all come to the table with a diff, with different points of view on the same thing. Can we all agree on that? Now, if we can agree on that, then we also have to agree that in order to bring about order, we all have to agree to a set of rules of behavior. We have to. Right. And I think that's that's how well, that's what makes a community. Exactly. Now if we if we aren't willing to now if we agree to that but we're not willing to go there, then what are we really saying? We like things the way they are. That's what we're saying. Why would you debate an issue of injustice? Clear injustice. Why would you debate why would you debate an issue of of clear hate? Why would you debate that? So Andrew, after hearing from Eddie and Jake, I definitely can't let you escape this episode without getting your take on this. Is the answer as simple as banning assault rifles? No, I mean I wish it were that simple. I think part of what makes this issue difficult to solve here in the United States is that we are the United States. So we have the Second Amendment and the ATF and certain federal guidelines, but many gun laws vary from state to state. So to affect change at scale, we really need federal action to set the overall authorizing environment for state-level policy. Secondly, look, I think part of the disagreement here is that many on the left see this as a statistics problem, where there are lots of guns geographically correlates to a higher risk of suicide and homicide. I believe the latest stat is that the U.S. has 120 guns for every 100 citizens, which, let's be clear, is totally nuts. But it means that if we want to reduce the risk that guns end up in the hands of people who would do harms to others, we can incentivize getting guns off the streets with some kind of federal buyback program, but we also need stronger storage and liability laws. And third, I think what gets lost in this conversation around mass shootings is the number of accidental deaths or injuries that occur from guns every year. That number is also way too high. It shouldn't be easier for me to buy a gun in this country than it is to get a driver's license. I think we need to embrace a culture of training and licensing to encourage responsible and educated gun ownership. In my opinion, any legislation aimed at banning assault-style rifles isn't serious without comprehensively tackling these other issues. So basically, it's complicated, but not totally impossible. Yeah. I know that when I consider where we are right now as a country, the needle doesn't seem to be moving much in either direction. But people are still dying, and I wonder if we're living in a time now where we've become, as difficult as it is to say, okay with kids being gunned down at school. One thing I'm encouraged by, though, is the sheer number of youth who are demanding that politicians and legislators do something to stop the mass shootings, whether that means abandoning assault weapons and high-capacity magazines or raising the age limit to buy semi-automatic weapons. And it's not only in communities like Parkland who have been in the national spotlight as of late, but young people in places like Chicago, which we all know is plagued by persistent gun violence, are now saying, hey, there are issues with gun violence in our communities too. We demand to be heard. We demand change so that our young people can walk down the street without fear of being gunned down. Uh, Great points, Joy. You're right. The next generation seems to be pretty fed up with the status quo, and they're not shy about expressing their displeasure. As 2020 approaches, it'll be interesting to see if any Democratic candidates take their cue from the next generation by adopting the Lucy McBath formula from Georgia and placing gun reform at the center of their campaign strategies. But so far, it doesn't seem to be a major platform item any candidate is running on. 
Yes, we will see indeed. I can't imagine that this isn't going to become an issue in this next election. But either way, I think the days of being able to skate by and not address gun reform as part of your political platform are over. So I expect to see the candidates start talking about this issue any day now. Yeah, well, that's it for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to check out our next episode where we're recording in front of a live audience at the University of Washington and providing a brief behind-the-scenes look at how we plan and produce episodes of Speak Freely. Then we'll shift gears for a discussion with a returning Speak Freely guest, Catherine Pratt, and an additional guest from the Foster Veterans Association who we'll talk with about the role of the tech community in our national defense. We hope you can join us by listening in. Speak Freely is recorded in Seattle, on location, and produced by Andrew Pepler and Joy Turner. Thanks to all our listeners who continue to support Speak Freely. We're well into our second season, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without you. Our fantastic music was provided by the band Stubborn Son, who you can find on SoundCloud, Spotify, Facebook, and YouTube. You can download and listen to episodes of Speak Freely on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Be sure to follow the show on Facebook at Speak Freely Podcast, all one word, or on Twitter at SPK underscore Freely. And if you're a veteran or know one that has a lot to say and might want to be on the show, send us an email at speakfreelypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in. Speak Freely, out. Fight well, my brother, don't forget your home. Return with victory, tell your woman all you know. Though you fight till you die To keep worry from her mind No, you do not fight alone Runs thick as blood, not bone